just want to thank Pastor Andy for giving me the opportunity to uh, preach tonight. Um, I always count it a privilege and a great responsibility sharing the Word of God. And um, my prayer is always when I, I get the opportunity to share the Word of God, that God would really anoint it and that He would um, speak through me. And it, it is a very sobering thing to get up here and, and give the Word of God. And um, I just pray the Lord will, will really bless it. But I've been praying about... Um, Brent had asked me to, to preach, and the Lord had been kind of stirring a message of things that He was convicting me and showing me about. And um, so as I was just praying, the Lord just started to give me several scriptures, and I wrote them all down. And um, hopefully as I'm sharing them and giving the message, it'll, it'll make sense and it'll be um, something the Lord really used to, to minister to you. But I guess the title the Lord gave me is almost more like a theme but um, I guess kind of the title he gave me is, What is the Kingdom of God Like? And then I guess sort of the description under there is understanding worth in the eyes of God. And it's understanding worth in the eyes of God. And so you kind of scratch your head, but what does that really mean? God calls us to value certain things while we're on this earth. He calls us to value certain things as Christians. Um... And how we value things will determine how we spend our time, um, how we spend our money, how we raise our kids. The decisions that we make is, is going to be based on what we value. And I pray that as a man and a woman of God, as a child of God, we would value the things that the Lord values. Amen. But I just want to start out with this illustration, and it's a very simple one, and it's a, a physical one. Uh, the Lord used physical examples to, to illustrate spiritual lessons, but um, I'm sure you, all of y'all have heard of Facebook and Amazon, right? And it's everywhere, especially now with, with technology is developing more, these kind of technology companies are in our lives so much. But rewind 15 years ago, would you think of investing in a company that all it did was sell things online that people never saw? I thought it would be kind of crazy, maybe, maybe 20 years back. Or, or let's say Facebook, you know, uh, invest in a company that's basically going to make money advertising off of people sharing photos with each other, right? It sounds kind of almost silly and absurd, but these entrepreneurs that, that have a great talent, they see things and they see things into the future um, that others don't. And they put their resources in it, and sometimes it's a lot of work at the beginning with not a lot of results. And then now when you look back on it, you're like, wow, that was so great. You know, look at, look at the wealth that's been created as a result. And I'm and obviously speaking in physical terms. But at the same time, and maybe I even go back further, you know, just think of oil. Think about the early 1900s before automobiles um, were really widely uh, produced and bought. Oil, you know, ugly, worthless land in the middle of Texas, worth nothing. Um, speculators were buying it, knowing that there was something really um, valuable underneath there, okay? And as the people of God, we're called and we're challenged, and the Lord desires to develop in us a desire uh, for things that are spiritual, things that are worth something, things that are worth eternally, 
and these carnal money's going to be gone. You know, Facebook will be gone here. You know, gone tomorrow. You just think of big companies like Kodak that aren't around anymore. So, um, but I want you to turn with me, and we're going to look at several scriptures tonight. And I just want to start out with this this first point: is that the world cannot see what the people of God can see. When you're born again as a man and woman of God, you see things that the world cannot see. Take, for example, meeting tonight on Wednesday night. The world will think, wow, what better time to spend than relaxing at home? Why are you at church on Wednesday night? Why isn't it, you know? But as a woman and a man of God, you recognize that there's something worth, there's a spiritual worth in meeting in God's house and hearing the word of God. Amen. So Matthew 13, verses 15 to 17. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and and this is uh, the conversation they had regarding the parables that he was having. And Jesus is explaining to his disciples the lack of the ability for people that they cannot understand the things that, that Jesus was saying. So he says, verse 15, it says, For this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing. In their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which they see, which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear. They have not heard them. And so Jesus is telling the disciples, hey, these people cannot understand their, their hearts, their eyes, those three senses he gives. The heart being kind of an example of a, a, or a form of thinking or understanding. So eyes, heart, and ears are dull. They can't receive the things of God. And so as a born-again man and woman of God, God gives us the ability to see those things. But we have to ask him to help us do that, okay? And when we ask the Lord to open our eyes to things, even in our life, that may not be right, a lot of times it's not the easiest thing to receive. Amen. Uh, Y'all turn with me to Mark chapter 10. And we all know this account really well. I shared it before in other uh, messages the Lord's given me, and it, it always ministers to me and convicts me. Matthew chapter 10, verses 19 to 27. We'll skip around a little bit, but um, y'all remember the account? This is a um, this is the same account is found in Luke 18 and Matthew 19. But in this account, he's described, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 19, he's described as a young man, okay, a young ruler. This is a, a wealthy guy, wealthy young man. He's a... Um, appears to be a God-fearing man, and he goes to Jesus with a very, I believe, a very um, earnest and sincere desire to get, to have Jesus speak into his life about what, what he needs to do. And so um, he asked them, and we're going to pick up in, in verse 19, the way uh, where Jesus uh, responds to him. And this is Jesus speaking to the young ruler. He says, Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father, father and mother. And, and the young ruler answers, he says in verse 20, And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these I have observed from my youth. Then Jesus beholding him, 
loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And so here, just a very direct example of what this young man valued. Okay, so he desired to serve God. He tried to be honorable. You know, the commandments, he kept them. He said, I've kept them since I was young. Okay, and then Jesus hits right at, right at what he was really valuing, at least at that time above everything, was the great possessions that he had. And when God deals with him about it, he tells him, go do this first, and then um, come and take up your cross and follow me. Okay? And it says that he went away very grieved. Uh, let's keep reading. Verse um, 23. And Jesus looked round about and said unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looking upon them saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God... All things are possible. And a lot of times that passage gets quoted out of context. Um, so what do we have here? And, and, and some people maybe read this passage and say, well, I'm not a millionaire. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a six-figure salary person. I'm not, you know, um, that isn't applied to me. But I believe those riches can apply to a lot of things in our life. And obviously this is dealing, he's dealing here with salvation. But I believe this illustration goes farther into um, our walk with God and what the Lord requires for us as we're walking with Him. Um, those riches can mean a lot of things. They can mean um, our job, our prestige, relationships we have, friendships we have, uh, fame, whatever those things that, that a man has. Jesus says very clearly, He says it's very hard for a person that has great worth, quote-unquote, in the world to really come to God, to really come to that salvation. And his disciples are like, wow, it's impossible for anyone. You know, how, how's it possible then? And Jesus says very clearly, he says, with men it is impossible, but with God it's impossible. Y'all, God can turn around any life. He really can. It's a step of faith, but he really can turn around any life. Um, and it's wonderful to see that. When you're, you've been praying for a long time for someone to get saved, go through this uh, passage again. Let the Lord encourage with that. You guys turn with me now. We're going to go to another scripture. 1 John chapter 2. And I, and I would say this is the call of every single Christian, every believer. 1 John chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 15 through 17. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, 
and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And so what does this passage mean? You know, Lord, help us understand this. A lot of people take this with their mind and they go, you know, you've seen all kinds of examples in the past centuries. People go in monasteries, they get away from, you know, quote unquote, the world, not really understanding what it what this passage means. So what does it really mean? Loving the world, the things that are in the world. Okay. Love meaning there's a preoccupation, there's a, a fascination with the things of the world. And I think for any Christian to say that those things don't affect them at all, would be really honest with them. We deal with this flesh, right? Romans commands us, Romans, uh, the Lord commands, speaking through Paul, that you should walk in the spirit, not in the flesh, right? So what does that mean? As a Christian, it's very easy for me to walk in the flesh. And when I walk in the flesh, what does that mean? I value the things of the flesh. I uh, put um, importance on the things of the flesh, right? And all those things don't necessarily mean something sinful, but they're of the world. And they have very finite worth. There's not an eternal worth to it. And so the Lord speaking through John, who's the, you know, John had the, the ministry of speaking a lot about the love of God and love. He says very clearly, he says, the love of the Father Someone who's, who's preoccupied with the world, right? Um, he says here in, in verse 15, the love of the Father is not in him. Meaning, your desire for the Lord and the things of God are, aren't going to be present. Okay? And so, as the Lord was giving me these, these scriptures, I just think sometimes we need to stop and take account of our lives. And I think it's easier if we take the time to stop and ask the Lord than God causing some kind of tragedy or something big for us to have to stop and think about it. But just think about, I just think about, about the past 10 years. I mean, years fly by like that. Some of you young people, young children, teenagers, you feel like you have your life before you. Some of you that are older, look back, you can probably look back and say, man, I wish I would have wasted time on all these other things, you know, and, and now I'm this age and I can't do those things. I don't want to live my life with regrets. Amen. And if I can receive these scriptures and receive the word of God and continue walking forward and redeem the time and say, Lord, I want to see things, the worth and things that you see. And y'all, sometimes that's going to be very difficult, okay? It's not going to be a clear return. Getting up early and praying, taking the time to, to disciple someone, um, making the prayer meetings all the time, even when you don't feel good, even when you're tired. Um, taking an opportunity to teach, whatever, those things that, that, um, that are sowing into the kingdom of God, a lot of times you're, you're not going to get recognition for it. The Lord knows what you're doing. But really take the time to think, God, do I love the things of the world? Do they preoccupy me? Do they consume me? And y'all, I say this to, to great conviction to, my, to myself. Um, so I go back to the question, what is the kingdom of God like? Okay. Uh, turn with me back to Matthew. We're going to take a look at chapter 13. 
And again, here, this is part of Jesus' ministry where he's, he's using physical things to illustrate spiritual things, okay? And people are asking, what's the kingdom of God like? kingdom of like is, is like a lot of things. The word of God, Jesus describes it as many things. And we'll just take it a couple of things. But um, in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46, this is the way Jesus describes the kingdom of God. Starting verse 44 of chapter 13. Again, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field. The which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of God is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great, great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And so look at the, the way Jesus is describing the kingdom of heaven here. Right? Here you have a, a, a man, he finds his treasure, he sells, he says the joy thereof, sells, gives up everything, sells, up, sells everything that he has, and he buys that field, and he does it with joy. And then the, the example of the merchant getting that pearl, right? He sold all that he had, and he bought it. So what's Jesus describing the kingdom of heaven like here? That it's worth selling and giving everything for it. Okay? Quite a challenge. And so how, how do we do that? We, we think of that and it's, it's almost, you know, if you really let it kind of sink in, you almost get like, like a, a sinking feeling in your stomach. What, what's God going to ask me to give up, right? What's he going to ask me to give up my job? And, and, and this earthly carnal fear just grips us. But if we walk in faith, God's going to take us through those things. And he's going to help us to give up the things that maybe we find very hard to give up. Okay, This is another way the kingdom of God is described uh, earlier in the chapter. Matthew chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 31 and 32. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. And so what is Jesus encouraging us with here? He says, grain, um, faith as small as the grain of a mustard seed. And look how great God can grow it. It just takes that small step forward, asking the Lord, God, help me to give it all to you. Amen. And as difficult and as hard as that seems, God's going to take that small step of faith and it's going to continue to grow as we continue walking with him. Amen. And so we think about this and we're like, Lord, how can, how can we do this? Um, and it's wonderful that the Lord gives examples in the Bible for this. If y'all can turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Paul, a great man of God, I believe God had to take him through a lot of trials in a lot of years for him to, to really honestly proclaim this, this verse. Starting in verse 7, it says, chapter 3, verse 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. 
of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings be made conformable unto his death. And so you read this and, and just, just kind of meditate on it a little bit. He says, all the things that were gained to me, I counted lost for Christ. So things that in his mind he counted as gain, things that maybe the world great gave great honor to and great work to, he said it's he said it was loss for Christ. And then he says, Yea, doubtless, I can all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord. And then he goes on to say he suffered all kinds of things. He's, he's gone through great sufferings. He says, I do count them but dumb that I may win Christ. And so here you have a man of God really not in a mind kind of thing, but he's really grasping spiritually in his heart. All the sufferings I've gone to, all the things I attained as a Pharisee, all the knowledge, all those things were dumb. They were worth nothing. And, and I, I would lose everything. I would lose everything in this world to gain this knowledge of Christ. And, and I'm, if I'm honest with myself, I don't know that I could really say that to its fullness. Uh, thank the Lord that he's, he's taken me through things, but the fullness of that. And yet that really takes the Lord through faith, showing us the worth of what He really is. And as we let the Lord grow that in us, grow that in us, grow that in us, the decisions that we make from the smallest to the big ones really start reflecting what we really put worth in, the spiritual things that God um, puts worth in, and how we raise our children, men, how we lead our families, how we spend our money, how we spend our time. Amen. That doesn't mean we, we can't have vacations, we can't have nice things. I'm not talking about that. We're not talking about really, truly letting the Lord show us what things should be a priority. Amen. And that we don't look back on regrets and say, why didn't I teach my children this? Why didn't I take the time to pray with them and instruct them? Amen. I don't want to live with regrets like that. And, and thank the Lord that He can forgive us and He can redeem the time. Amen. Another example, if I could turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. And we, we've been studying, we had been studying the life of Moses and Pastor Randy shared this scripture. I just think it's wonderful to go through again. Hebrews 11, though, it's the hall of fame for men and women of faith. Verse 24, it says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, refused his royal title. He refused it. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Right? And so... Moses gives up the royalty. He gives up the pleasures um, to be with the people of God. Amen. And he says, it says in verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. 
right? So there is a great reward in him giving up those things, a great spiritual reward, an eternal reward. Verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And that last part just kind of struck me because to a carnal eye, the things that the Spirit of God is driving us through to are invisible. We can't see them right now. We can't touch them right now, right? They're, in a sense, invisible. But they're there, and there's a great reward to it. Amen? Y'all turn with me. We're going to go back to Matthew chapter 6. Y'all bear with me. I know these are a lot of scriptures, but I just think they're really important to go through and read together. And I love how these are Jesus directly saying these. These are scriptures Jesus directly saying this. Not through Paul, not through John. This is Jesus saying it very specifically. Verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so Jesus starts hitting on, and what we'll see later on as we're going to keep reading this chapter, Jesus is hitting on the way the carnal man thinks, okay? And we're, we battle this as Christians. He's, he's hitting directly that, and then he's trying to teach his disciples and the people what it means to be a spiritual man and the spiritual rewards that are really the ones that have true worth. Okay? He says, don't lay up all these treasures on earth where they're going to be gone. Moth, rust are going to corrupt them. Lay up your treasures in heaven. He said there's not going to be any rust, any moth. It's not going to decay. Okay? That's where the true worth is, laying up heavenly things. Amen? And in verse 21, he says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Amen. I pray my heart is not on this earth. I pray that it's heavenly. Amen. Continue with me. We're going to skip down to verse 24. Jesus is hitting the nail on the head. Okay. He says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Right? And so what is the Lord saying? We can't have a divided heart. I think a lot of times in our mind, we try to, things that God may be laying his hand on, we kind of try to justify it, and we're trying to serve those two things. Amen? And God's saying, I want you to have a singleness of heart. I want your heart to be heavenly and not earthly. Amen? Let's continue in verse 25, and I believe this is one of the most convicting for me. And this is the, world, this is the way the world thinks, okay? This is what he's trying to show them is wrong. He says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what shall ye put on? Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? 
And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Speaking of the world, right? For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Verse 33 is the key right here. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And so Jesus is not only speaking about great riches, right? He's speaking about even things that you need. We need clothes. We need food, right? These are things that we need, correct? And these are things that men, women, you provide your homes for, right? You go to work to provide these things. And Jesus isn't saying... You know, take off all your responsibilities. You know, oh, God's just going to provide it. Right. There's a responsibility. In it. But what is Jesus hitting at? He doesn't want us consumed with worry. He doesn't want us consumed with the worries of what's going to happen, of what I'm going to have, all those things. God knows that we need them. OK, but what is he saying? He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these shall be added unto you. All of them shall be added unto you. You know, I think of, of Abraham, too. I didn't, um, I didn't want to go through the scriptures of that just for the sake of time. But Abraham was a wealthy man. He had much uh, sheep, you know, uh, were, um, riches were counted in terms of sheep back then. And he was very wealthy. But you look at the pattern in his life and God, you know, had to deal with him with things. But even when he had a... Um, uh, tension with his nephew. He even told his nephew, which he was the older man, he should have had more preference. He said, where you go, you know, take the lane that you want. And I just believe that's a trait of a man that's like, this is not my all. The land that I have and the sheep that I have is not my all. Okay? And so obviously riches weren't, weren't something that, that Abraham loved and he was consumed by. But even as God blessed him with a child, God called him to even lay his child on that altar. Talk about hitting close to home, your own child. God says, I want you to give him to me, to sacrifice him to me, right? And so we see in the pattern of the Bible, it's not just riches. I think sometimes it's easy for us to say, well, I'm not a rich man, so you know, I don't have anything to struggle with. No, we can have things in our heart that we value above the Lord and that can get us into trouble. Turn with me, I want to finish up um, with this last chapter in Matthew. We've got a lot of Matthew here. Matthew chapter 25. And again, another example of how, what the kingdom of heaven is like. And we're going to go through ser uh, several verses here. 
Verse 14, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them other five talents. Likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoned with them. So here we setting up the account here. There's a man, he gives talents to his servants, and he's going to go away. It's, they're left to, to take what, what's been given with them and to go increase it, okay? And so we see the doubling of the first two. And then the last one, there's a very fearful, timid, lazy digging. And it's left there. And it says it's, it was gone a long time, okay? And then there's a reckoning that comes. We're going to skip down. So just for the sake of time, the master comes, the Lord comes. And he asks the first one what he did, and he tells him, and he doubles him, and he commends him, and he, he says here, blesses him. And then in the second one, we'll, we'll pick up in verse 23. The second one tells him how he's doubled it. And he says, His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not stawed. Strawed, I'm sorry. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. So let me stop right there. I believe this is, this is a carnal way of thinking, an illustration of that, because if you look at the first two, they really took faith to take those talents and multiply them, didn't it? Because they didn't know necessarily that they would get the return on it, right? But they took what was given them to the Lord, and they walked, and they, they took it. And then this other one comes, and he knows that there's a great fear of this Lord, meaning the Lord wants his talents to multiply and to be invested, right? But he says, in his carnal mind, he thinks, well, I'm not going to lose the talent. So I guess what I'll do is I'll just kind of take and bury it. And he can't blame me or he can't punish me for uh, losing it because I didn't lose it. And so here it is, okay? And he gives an explanation to him why. Verse 26, his Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knowest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received my own with usury. And I don't want to dig too deep in here and say that somehow there's a losing of salvation. I'm not going to get into all that. But I believe that there's a very, very important um, instructional lesson here because this is Jesus speaking very directly to his disciples 
And to all these people, I'm giving you illustrations about the kingdom of God. I'm giving you the plan of salvation, right? And these are for the lost. But I didn't believe for those that end up accepting and being born again, that there's a call, there's a great responsibility with what you've been given. There's a great responsibility with you as men and women of God, as children of God, the things that God's given you, the things that God has taught you, the things that, the talents that God's given you, the wealth that God's given you, the blessings that God's given you. What have you done with it? Amen? And I said for myself, the things that God's given me, what am I doing with it? Am I like that weak and slothful servant that just wants to hide in a corner and go, and go bury it somewhere? No. I have to go and, and invest what God's given me for His honor and for His glory. Amen? I just sometimes I think about, um, and this is very sobering, you just think about each one of us is going to have to stand before the throne of God. Not about whether we're going to heaven or hell, but to give an account for our life. And just stop and let that sink for, for a second. And God asks you, what have you done with what I've given you? You know, and I think some of what we've thought in our mind, like the Bible describes, Paul describes, is going to burn. Things that we thought were for God are going to burn. Right? The things we did in faith that God showed us to do that maybe no one else saw, I think are going to be gold, are going to be diamonds, in a sense, to present before the Lord. But I really desire the Lord, and not by any might of my own. I mean, this is faith is constantly emphasized here, but through faith, thy good and faithful servant, what I've given you. Amen. And, and I look back at, I'm almost 40, many, many wasted years, much wasted time I could have used for the Lord. Amen. God, help me and help me to serve you. Help me. Y'all, none of us are guaranteed, we all know this, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. We could get in a car, go a couple blocks, get in a car wreck, and God calls us home. And what do we spend our time in? What have we, amen? And it doesn't mean, y'all, that we have to be this great Jim Elliot, Amy Carmichael, and somehow if we're not them, then our life is not worthy to the Lord and what we've done. I believe there are going to be many unnamed people that we will see. Um, but just think about that and, and ask the Lord to really stir that desire in your heart. God, I want to put worth. I really want to see the worth in the things that you see worth in. Amen. I don't want to take too much time. I just want to finish up in this chapter because I really believe Jesus kind of makes it real in this last part. Skip down to verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, the Lord returning, right, from His long journey. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. He shall set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the right, righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we 
saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Wow. Okay, so does that mean I have to go feed the poor and that makes me the greatest spiritual person? No. But what an incredible illustration of the small things that maybe other people don't notice. You ministering to the sick, you ministering to those in the prison, you ministering to those in the nursing home. Amen. And the Lord says, you did it as unto me. Right? God takes notice of those small things and he takes great worth in it to where he's mentioning it very quickly to where they're almost surprised, right? They didn't even think because no one else took notice of it that it would be that important, but the Lord found great worth in it. I want to close in the last, these last couple of scriptures and they're just a great reminder. Proverbs is full of wonderful spiritual wisdom, practical wisdom too. I just want to read this. You don't have to turn to it if you want to jot it down. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 6. In the house of the righteous is much treasure, but in the revenues of the wicked is trouble. There's great treasure in the house of the righteous. Proverbs fifteen sixteen. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. I mean, I think that speaks greatly of integrity. Right? Y'all turn with me now. I, wanna, I do want to close and read this together. Psalm chapter 37. I'm going to skip around. There's a lot, a lot here. I encourage you to take time to just read through it on your own. But we're going to start in verse 3. Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. It's kind of sound a little bit like Jesus speaking in Matthew. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. How many of us worry about the Lord bringing things to pass? Verse 6, and he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy and thy judgment as the new day. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Let me read that again. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth Wicked devices to pass. How many of y'all in your in your walk, in your Christian walk, have thought, "Wow, I feel like a lot of other people have it better than me in X situation or Y situation." And we just look at other people. We look at the world. Sometimes you think, "Man, they don't have any worries, right?" But what does the Lord instruct us to do? He says, "Rest in Him and wait patiently for Him." Wait patiently for him, meaning a lot of times you're not going to see the answer right then and there, okay? And perhaps your need, you may not see it meant right then and there. Skip with me down to verse 16. You kind of see this repeated again. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken. 
but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. In the days of famine they shall be satisfied. In the days of pandemics, God will meet our need. Amen? Y'all stand up for me. and uh, Let's just call upon the Lord. I want to, as you stand up, Chris, if you can come and, and, and play just a song or two in closing. If y'all can just listen to these last three verses. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not utterly be cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. And this is David speaking, and he's testifying because he fell. And he was alone, and he was rejected, and he was chased down like an animal, okay? So he's not just saying flowery, wonderful things of God without having experienced the brutal trials of this life, okay? Verse 25, I have been young and now old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Isn't that wonderful, y'all? Even though we may go through great times of need and, and worry and, you know, God upholds us and he's going to take care of us. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Amen. Well, Lord, we just thank you, God, for your promises, Lord. I pray, God, that you would, God, challenge me, that you would show me, Lord. God, Mary areas in my life, God, um, God, that I prioritize just carnal things, God. Maybe not necessarily sinful things, perhaps sinful things, God. But I pray, help me to give them to you, Lord. I pray, help me, God, to prioritize and invest with, God, things that really matter, Lord. Heavenly things, spiritual things, Lord. And I pray, God, give me the faith to walk in it, Lord. I pray, God, when it's hard, I pray when I don't see it all, Lord. I pray, help me to step in it and do it in And God, from the small steps to the big steps, lead us, Lord. Your word says that if our faith is small as as a mustard seed, Lord, how greatly it can grow, God. And how greatly you can use each one of our lives, Lord. And maybe men, maybe even in this church, maybe others may not see it, but you see it, God. And that will ultimately matter, Lord, as we stand before your throne, God. I pray. God, to each one of us, God, you would say, good and faithful servant, God, that we took what you gave us, and God, you multiplied it, Lord. Through faith, God, you multiplied it, and you did it, God. But I just pray individually, Lord, help us to walk in that, and I pray continue, God, as a church, help us to value spiritual things, God, your truth, God, doctrine, your word, your church, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you're here tonight. Lord, I pray for each one of us, Lord, speak to us, God. As we call upon you, speak to us, God. Thank you.